All right, we're live. Uh, welcome, everybody, to the panel on data architecture. My name is Juan Cicada. I'm the principal scientist at Data.World, and I'm also the co-host of Catalog and Cocktails. It's an honest, no BS, non-salesy podcast about enterprise data management. And we usually do this live with a tasty beverage in hand, like a cocktail or a beer, but today I'm having a nice, refreshing passion fruit water. And this is a special. This panel is going to be a special edition of our podcast, so you can be able to listen to uh, this panel later on our podcast. Uh, and uh, the style of our podcast is that we're honest and no BS, and we have a, a really cool conversation here. So it's not going to be boring at all. I can tell you that for sure. So we have our three panelists. I'm going to go quickly introduce them. So we have Teresa Tung. She is the chief technologist of Accenture, a cloud first group. Uh, we have Shamak Jigani, who works at ThoughtWorks as a director of emerging technologies and is a founder of the Data Mesh concept. And Jay Yu, the distinguished architect and director of enterprise architecture and technologies future group at Intuit. How are you all doing today? Awesome. All right. And then we also have John, our artist, who is going to be doing a live uh, sketch here uh, of our panel. So this is going to be interesting. Wow. All right. So let's dive in. So. Um, We've been talking about the pains of data integration, about silos, about monolithic architectures, about data lakes turning into data swamps, and about application-centric stuff. Okay, we get it. Or do we really get it? Now, that, th 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 there's a saying, right? The limits of my language means the limits of my world. So my honest, no BS question for all of you, we can kick this off is, do you think that the general enterprise data management industry really gets this? Or are we hitting the limits of our language and we think that the status quo is actually okay? Who wants to go first? I'll say no, capital N, capital O. Um, we will have this talk about data lakes becoming data swamps. And we talk about breaking away from master data management. And we talk about this dream of knowledge graphs and people say, oh, I get it. That's why I have this canonical data model. Right. And then you're like, oh, you, you didn't get it at all. Right. I think um, I, I see that all the time. Right. I, I don't know if others have the same. So they don't get it. They still think they that don't they don't get it. I don't think any of us get it. I think we are limited. I know, honestly, I think what we know and what how we have imagined the world of data management and the language we build around that imagination and then the tool that designed, you know, brought that imagination to life is based on certain assumptions that have worked for some decades and no longer work. So we are still biased and being limited by those constraints that for some reason we put on ourselves. So if you think about our parallel world, the world of computation, the world of computation was inspired by back in the 60s and 70s by people who put the foundation for Unix philosophy, who imagined computation as, as a small applications that do one thing and one thing really well. And those kind of those foundational philosophies led to the world we're in right now, right? That the competition can get scaled out, that you have people that, you know, democratization of the cloud and so on. But we are lacking that change of heart and change of imagination and change of language in the data world because for some reason, those wise men back there or women told us we've got to centralize data and manage it, wrangle it somehow, right? So I feel like we've, we are limited and we have to escape from this limited imagination somehow and, and ch challenge the status quo. 
All right, so Teresa says wow. no. Shamak says not even us who are who are here who we think we say we don't. How about you, Jay? Well, how, how do I follow Shamak? It's hard, but anyhow, let me put my thing on it. I absolutely agree. It's a big no. <laughs> That's how we align. <laughs> I, I think I, I from the angle of a, uh, a history of practicality, right? What happened is we're seeing explosive growth in data. Right, because of the you know the 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 cloud, the computing, the storage, and then we also seeing application collecting more and more data. I think we're just not prepared for it. The old school of you know smaller data, I can handle it. I can centrally manage it. But now suddenly there's so much of the data, and they, each business want to grow. Basically, have many many different uh, application, no longer a single app, single purpose. Just like Intuit, we want to own the entire financial space. We want to. Partner with others, give you the one-stop solution for everything. It's not just just doing your taxes. It's not just doing your accounting, right? With that world, suddenly it becomes a lot more complicated. We have to model a lot, lot of different things. Guess what? Each team can only focus on one thing, and then the central team have no idea or very little idea about what are all the domains combined. So I I would say you know because of growth, which is a good thing, the data growth, the domain growth, the complexity growth. The old strategy about just putting on the same shit stuff, having one single connected model, everybody stick to, it's gonna fail. That's actually how I see. You know, we're not ready for it. And so, when the new things coming up, sorry, people still have a hard time saying why the old model won't work or the old model is completely broken. We just completely silo. Let's solving all silo stuff first. Uh, uh, push King down the down the uh, road. Let somebody else solve this problem, which is <laughs> another problem. So, so are are you saying that we just give up? We just let's kick the can down. You're gonna you're, we're all gonna retire in 10, 10, 20, 30 years, and it's gonna be somebody else's problem. And is that the solution? I mean, I, that can't be the solution. I mean, are, are, are so let me go phrase it. Are we going to make data enterprise data management better in your lifetime? Yeah, let, let me stop first. I don't want to follow Shamek, but I don't <laughs> want to follow Teresa either. But anyhow, since I started this, right, that's why we're here. That's why I'm very passionate about there is a solution, but the solution takes a lot of effort and time, right? The solution really about having to look at the problem very differently, have to look at the problem very holistically. I like, uh, uh, I think, a talk, you know, a, a conference is about system thinking. It's all about system thinking. Everything about that is you have to think holistically. When you think of holistically, say, how can I solve this problem? The complexity of different domains, different technology, technology evolved, all the vendors going after us left and right for their own benefit, convinced us to work. How do we stitch all these things together? But the center for me, it is a knowledge problem. It is a knowledge problem, but also you have to democratize because no single person have the full knowledge of the world. You have to have very different domains, define their own knowledge, Right, have them own it, but give them the right infrastructure and tooling so that it's defined consistently. It can be easily stitched together later, making sure there's rich semantics in there, not just optimized physical performance. I think there's a hope, but needs that you know people like us, people, everybody here, figure out a way of moving forward. Yeah, and I want to build on that system thinking, Jake, because it's just such an awesome tool to to simplify complex system behaviors. Right, so. One of the things that in system thinking is really important is finding those leverage points, those little change and shifting behavior, the levers that you can put 
uh, in place, the little changes that can have big impact on behavior. So I think one of those ones that's perhaps missing is incentivizing every business unit and every domain to embed intelligence in them. And I know your organization too has a big mission around, you know, how can I utilize data to have new offerings, new intelligently empowered offerings to my, my you know, clients. So once you incentivize every, every unit to say, you know, use ML wherever you can, embed ML in whatever you can, to improve the experience of your users or you streamline your workflows, then you created at least some incentive intrinsically within those domains. And as you said, then the next lever to pull is how do I pave the path? How do I enable these people, right? So part of it is just data literacy, understanding how to use the data. And then the other part is like all the infrastructure and the self-serve capabilities. So I, I loved for someone to explore the system thinking applied uh, to data management, to governance, right? How do you build um, systems of incentives that consider the common good of the whole, right? Whereas from the days of Aristotle, we've been trying to figure out, you know, what the common good is versus individualism of domains to move fast and change things and break things and, and still not break the whole, right? So I think this is a really interesting space to explore. And maybe I'll, I'll build on to that. Um, we, we have in our current lifetimes new incentives um, from a application perspective. So we've seen things with the pandemic, right? That has supply chains. Uh, we're going to see sustainability. We see social needs. Um, the example we talked about with oil and gas and being able to um, better, you know, protect these resources and be more efficient about our usage, right? So I think um, there's opportunities that might be driven outside the business for different mm -hmm. partners to come together. So oftentimes we might even be able to jump the, um, the politics within a business and the different lines of business needing to agree right upon a central uh, way of working to these needs that are driven from outside that there's no one central need, right? There's no one central group. It is a federation. It is by design a distributed systems federated approach. And so it's not my data lake, your data lake, it's how do we come together? And so um, I'm hopeful that these these pressures that we have to solve these problems, right, the supply chain, right, uh, engineering design all the way through development, being able to solve these problems is going to actually drive the need to work and, and organize our data. So let, let, I want to drill down on something and let's go, let's be honest. So we talk about incentives here, and I think that's, this is the right direction. Tell me literal, real literal examples of, being, of of incentives that are new things. Let's think out of the box. Incentives that we're not doing today that we should be doing tomorrow. And I, I don't care if they're crazy. Let's let, let's brainstorm here. So just to kick off, like uh, uh, Mohammed Osser was in the previous talk was talking about having like the cost. Like we're going to go build data products. We need to start charging for these data products internally, just the way IT charges for different things. We need to go charge for that. Think about that cost structure within IT. Right, you have in some incentive economic even economical incentives there. So I'm going to throw with I'm going to start with that, but I want to hear from everybody else. Let's be yeah, specific. Yeah. Let me take a step. I be really specific. One of the incentive usually for the product team is speed, speed to innovate, speed to bring to market. Now it's also re related to what kind of thing they want to deliver. Now they may argue in their old domain they control every. I mean they they control everything or in our case silo. Let's call it silo. They feel like they can move really fast. 
But then the new dimension of the problem really forced them to say, in order to add new capability, I need to connect with other domains. I need to leverage data from others. That's where the power is. When you connect those data, that's where new feature capability comes. Now they're running to a speed problem, right? In the old silo, what do you do? Right, so in this case, there's a wonderful opportunity to say, hey, if we have this data mesh with knowledge, intelligence building, have a holistic view, then bring up a new product so fast because you don't have to do a lot. I think that's really the benefit we want to explore and say, basically business usually causes one thing, but growth is the biggest driver. So if you can connect with a growth product that help you really bring up this forward and, and into it, we're very growth minded. That's why some of the effort is really gearing toward that. But no matter what growth is still new kids on the block, right? The established product is usually has the big money and funding. So there's an interesting dynamics going on there in terms of how do you align those things together. But that's a one clear benefit we can explore moving forward. And I, and I build on your example. This is this is great. You you set the foundation and we kind of like build upon it. So you you gave a really good example, Jay, which was, you know, the domain needs to go faster and they need, you know, they, they're building a solution and they have part of the data in their domain, but the other parts of the data yeah. problems are spread out, right? So the moment there is a point of friction in discovering that data, they have to go to a centralized governance and ask for permission and get you know access. Months pass. By the time they discover it, you know that they they've forgot about their hypothesis or application because there's friction. So how do we incentivize people to remove that friction? So I think at least one aspect that like the data mesh tries to uh, bring to introduce is that instead of thinking about data as assets that you have and you hold dear and you keep, think about it as a product and organizationally we incentivize you, we put OKRs, bonuses, however it works for your organization around the shareability and the growth of the users of your data products. So your data becomes actually a product. So then the people who are serving the data for that use case are incentivized to make sure you get the data, you get it fast, and you become part of the user. So those are artificial. Of course, these are not intrinsic motivators. Like nobody says, I want to be a data product owner, I want to you know, sell my data to a product. But they're, they're initially artificially put in place to kind of incentivize people to shift from this data, my, I just copy it and keep it to myself, to the data that is part of my products that I serve to other people. So I'm, I'm, I'm honest here. So Shamok's answer was very direct. Put OKRs, bonuses on the shareability and growth of the users of your data product. Jay, I get where you're going with the speed, but I'm like, we could be more specific on that. So I'm going to throw it at Teresa and see if we can get how much more specific can we get on incentives? I think it goes down to impacting the business, right? You, the reason why we want this data is it's going to change how we do something. We're going to be smarter or we're going to be, it might even change the actual product itself, right? Let's go to a very physical product. We know the product of tomorrow, like the, like the Tesla that you might have, right? It's changed over time because it is data driven and it's being, uh, it's learning, right, about uh, use cases. And so being able to unlock that data to, in this case, really improve that smart product is, is how they're going to be able to measure um, the, the capabilities. And so if we reduce the friction, it might just be being able to see the same things. So step one across a product R&D, manufacturing, supply, fulfillment, marketing. If I could just see the same thing about data and I know exactly when I'm designing a product, right? If there's an impact in a supplier, 
I might not actually use that part. And that's going to actually improve um, how well I'm able to fulfill. So just seeing the same thing, you already have a lot. And then on top of that, then you can add a lot of the analytics and AI, right, that that is able to better prescribe actions. And so I think all of, you know, the reducing the friction and the speed, it, it does have to at the end, change the business itself. So in the case, it might be making a smart product, it might make your process itself more efficient, right? But that's how I would measure um, tackling parts that are going to change um, something. And in some cases, like Intuit, your, your product is data driven. So in some ways, it, it's it's very clear. But I think in companies, even where the data is not the product, um, tying it to change in the business process. At, at the end of the day, I think like the old, I always say this, the ultimate OKR, KPI, whatever is, you're making money for your organization, you're saving money for the organization. That's it. Whatever where you do, it needs to, those are the two bottom lines. So, so let's shift this a little bit a little bit more kind of technology and we're at the knowledge graph conference and so we should talk about a little bit of knowledge graphs but actually jay and teresa you're kind of your pedigree here's on knowledge graphs and shamak you're on data mesh i think this is an interesting mix right here and and one can argue that people are using or misusing words in different ways and stuff like that are knowledge graphs and data mesh is this the answer that we've been looking for or or in five years down the line we're like Whoop, that was a little blip and we're back to data warehouse and data lakes. I don't know. So, uh, and go. <laughs> I'll go last, please. <laughs> okay, I'll take it so I don't have to follow Jamak if that's the game we're playing. Um, I think, you know, I think they're they're um, complementary, which is why we gave a talk about how they were complementary. Um, I almost look at the data mesh as a evolution of, you have data warehouse, data lake, towards a data mesh. And the knowledge graph is the evolution, if you will, of a master data management type approach, right? So really sort of um, one is around, I guess, more relationships of the data. And, and so you can't, you can run them separately, right? You could have a knowledge graph powered app, you could have a data mesh, right? That's connecting data, but without putting them together, it doesn't really make sense. How are you going to actually create the new products that you're going to publish into the mesh? How are you going to find things in the mesh to create the new insights that make money or save money, right? Like, so you need them both, right? It's like peanut butter and jelly sort of thing. Ooh, is it peanut butter and jelly, Shamak? Yeah, I think, I think they certainly like complement each other. We still have to clarify exactly how, because I don't care if we call this data mesh or not. I don't uh, worry if this is a blip or not, as you said. What I care about is that a question was raised and the question was, should we really centralize everything so that we can get meaning and use out of it? And there is an answer. There's one answer, right? This is the first answer. And the data mesh is the first answer to say, no, actually you can think about your data landscape, its ownership, its architecture as decentralized pieces. And these new pieces need new name and new identity because I still, that's the confusion still have that what these new pieces are. Is it just data? Is that data services? What is this thing? Let's call them data products for now. So that the answer, that there's the, some answers like the data mesh are coming to, to play. But I think the most important part and most important thing is we are questioning. We're questioning that we shouldn't be centralized, right? So then the, 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 the answer that needs to follow is that, okay, how foundationally from infrastructure, from architecture, how do I decentralize? 
today Ramesh has some answers that still, I, I think we still have to explore and prove and disprove parts of it, right? That's why I'm not prescriptive because I don't have all the answers yet. We have to be at this for a few years. And then as you know, Teresa mentioned is that that observability, once you distribute things, then you have to have a way of be able to observe them and discover them and search them with internet we distributed the knowledge across web pages across the web and then googles and others came and say i let you away to search and discover things so we definitely need a way of connecting these things together um, and knowledge graph is one way of connecting the semantic and the data relationship together uh, so absolutely they're complementary however when you come to implementation of how to connect them I think we've got to be careful. I have a very decentralized system of the world that I have created in my head for some reason that I think we have to think about bottom up. We have to apply, for example, complex system design to this, and I can talk about that to this model so that we can have autonomous independent definition of part of that graph and yet be able to connect them and emerge a bigger graph and avoid then the pitfall of let's define a graph and push it down somehow centrally. So, so avoid the, the, the kind of the pitfall of the centralization of graphs or any other thing and, and embrace the centralization of part of this that come together. And my inspiration there is always complex adaptive systems. Like you see a flock of birds in the sky, these beautifully coordinated fine birds, but is there anyone orchestrating and designing the, 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 you know, the, the migration path? No. Every bird just knows two simple little things. They just know, this is the leader I follow, and don't run into the other birds. So two very localized, simple rules you know, results in emergence of this beautiful flock. So I, I hope that we can kind of take the same model and say, okay, if you have this distributed data products, what are those simple localized graph definitions that can emerge a beautiful knowledge graph at Crystal? So while you're looking for controversial, I'll give you a controversial. I'm, 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 I'm organizing my thoughts because I'm like agreeing and then I disagree and agree and I disagree with you. Like, can, I take a step? can I take a step? Go, 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 Jay, go. All right, this is where I'm gonna differ. Yes. <laughs> I, I would say, first of all, Hong, I like you to say, whatever we do is a blip in the history, no matter what. But I think the ultimate goal is the same, right? It's a, I think what I like about data mesh is a very practical way because you cannot force everybody think the same. I think what's be beautiful about data mesh is focus on a centralized archi uh, architecture, a technology or infrastructure. That's something you don't give up, but give people the freedom to to take ownership of their domain. I think that's beautiful. But for me, it's just a stepping function. It's not the ultimate goal. Ultimate goal is we do want to unify things because the world is better if we can have a unified view of the world is better. I know in the real world is hard, but at least on the technology side, on the on data model, there is of some truth to unify the world, right? It is It is better for us if possible push towards that. Now there's there's a resistance. This is where I think data mesh comes really beautifully. So if you're not ready to unify all the model, which is very hard, nobody can understand the whole world, I give you some intermediate step, right? But that's where I, I agree, in this case, agree. 
in parallel, we should push for knowledge graph. We should making sure each domain team doing the right thing, model their world with a knowledge-driven thinking, with a top-down view instead of bottom-up. Domain-driven design is a beautiful thing. Also, they also have an incentive to learn from each other. So there's a cross-section of those data products. You cannot say, I'll only model my own, I'll completely own it because my application is this way. No, you have to think broader about how generic your data product be. So in some sense, it, 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 while you give them the tool, say you can do whatever, you also have to give them guardrail, say well, this is how you're supposed to do with the tool to model your domain. And then for me, very passionate about is how do you can connect the different domain models together? Without that connection, it's useless. You may have a data product. I still have to do a lot of things mapping from my domain to your domain, that kind of thing. But if you can build in that connection early on via a lot of knowledge graph, capability and thinking, this is where the beautiful things will come out. So again, I agree and disagree, but I feel like it's just a interim step toward the ultimate goal. Ultimate goal is a unified view. The knowledge graph can cover everything with a unified you know, infrastructure can power everything. Yeah, so, and, I, and I think it's a subtle, there is this, there is an art in there that is still, we have to unlock it, like to, uh, yeah. to find this equilibrium between, in, you know, independent domains can, can define their domains based on their knowledge and yet have this universal model, like how do we get there? What, what are the pieces we need to globalize and standardize and what are the pieces we can diversify? You know, it's we, we, we're going to be at this, but I think yes. we're going to, Connect the two. Yes. So so let me share with you, Josh. Anybody go to Josh talk? Josh from Uber, he's doing a great job. And then when we look at what we're doing into it, we had a lot of uh, collaboration with uh, Uber as well. What they're doing is, if it's, Josh is actually a knowledge graph expert, you know, Tinkerpop contributor. When he took on Uber, he realized how hard it is to basically try to actually unify everything. The practical approach that they did is focus on data types. You can standardize data types. Address is address. There's no need for 20 different addresses, right? You can standardize uh, people, you know, there's common things. There's no question about it. Why we have to have variation? So I think he did a wonderful job trying to actually unify that. But then for Intuit, we also have a step further in terms of, yes, we also understand a person is a person, but when you stand on types, it's kind of limiting. We want to expand it as there's a base type of address, but if you have variation, we give you a way to vary. So that's why the foundation is. That's why sometimes, you know, I, we, I personally believe, you know, knowledge graph technology can be really good. There's an upper level ontology, it's very abstract. And then there's a more detailed level, you can be a lot more specific. As long as you maintain that connection, that's where ultimately unification can come. Yeah, and something I want to add here is, this is why I have a special connection with everybody here is, I remember talking to Jay about this stuff for a while, and, and Josh is a really good friend of mine. We're talking about these things about, Josh always talks, like the core model of Uber is super simple. It is drivers, it is cars, it is, right? And they go destinations, it's very simple. And then there's no reason why you should redefine what is a user, what is an address, what is a first name and so forth, right? And so you want to have this balance and, 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 and control the, the, the main data types that shouldn't, be, that shouldn't be, everybody else should be doing on their own. And then I go off and somebody points to me to, to Shemak's article on data mesh and I read this, I'm like, hey, Jay, isn't this what we've been talking about? Hey, jo Josh, isn't this what we were talking about? So it's been all connected over so long. That's why I'm really excited about this. And this takes me to the topic of centralization versus decentralization, which I think there's a really good already question here, which is upvoted by, by Paco, is 
To what extent are we seeing data strategies based on centralization becoming existential tech debt for large organizations? Before we go to that, my takeaway up to now is that Shamak is more about decentralization, let's be free. And Jay is, yeah, that's right. But at the end of the day, we need to, we need to have a centralized, unified, or as I said in the chat, an, a unifiable way. So let's talk about the balance of centralization, decentralization, and go ahead and, and answer Paco's question. And who wants to go first? Shamak, you go first. Thank you. <laughs> I think I think centralization, decentralization, there are just two sides. You're on mute, I think. Oh, oh sir. Am I no, right? you're good, you're good. I'm good? You're good, you're good, you're good. Sorry. Um, I feel like the centralization and decentralization are two sides of the same code. The moment you decentralize something, you have to centralize something else to remove friction. So an example, and I think Jay would recognize this because she's, he's already mentioned this a few times. The moment we decentralize data ownership, data modeling authority, responsibility of serving your data as a product, we have to enable that autonomy by something that has some level of centralization around standards. So then you end up with the, perhaps a centralized platform. You might have, you might not have it as yet as a centralized implementation, but it's still from the perspective of that domain that is using those tools is kind of a centralized team giving me a set of tools. So, so I think the, I, I want to, agree on the fact that we need this decentralization gives us autonomy make us help us go faster helps us to scale out and that's what has happened right over the course of like from the dawn of internet but that only happens if we have globally agreed upon standards and protocols so you can argue that my standards are centralized right i have centralized the seams the way we talk to each other because we agreed upon a globally uni unified standards and protocols. And I, I think that's, that's, that's why I feel like these are the two sides of the same coin. And then there is the next layer, which is around, how do I make sure we agree upon this you know, standards? Who's the body that decides that? Is that, a is that done in a decentralized fashion, centralized fashion? And I think that's where a federated model can work, which is, yes, you have a centralized perhaps body, but it's, a federation of people from those domains who have a stake in these standards, people from the platform who have a stake in implementing those standards. So focusing on kind of protocols and stand, uh, standards as a centralized point and then to enable decentralization. Yeah, I'd have to say I, I agree that it's the, the standards and the um, the the interfaces that that are centralized, but I, I actually disagree with Jay in that in the I don't think I think we can centralize on like a, a domain model if we're within a company or within a line of business or solving a problem together, but we can't possibly keep track of all the regulations, all the new demands of data, all the new uh, things that are coming in the world, and so. I think you could loosely, like if we agree upon the standards so that I have my freedom to actually um, create my data state, the best way to be able to tackle that problem, um, I need to be able to do that. But if I can then make it exposable and, and have the standards so that you can discover and find everything I used for your purpose. And um, again, if we're unified around the same purpose, again, that makes a lot of sense in terms of the, the view that we're trying to cast towards. But um, 
when we're trying to just cover data, just like internet standards, right? I, I can publish things about Accenture any way I want. Um, I don't have to agree to tag everything in the same way, like with the, the, the username and the such, right? I could just, um, that needs to be flexible because we're not gonna be able to agree um, as a you know as a as a world as opposed to as a group that's doing something in a line of business got it and then yeah, I, I'll, I, I'll, I love what Teresa said if i can just jump for a minute please, please, I, think, please. I think this um scenario playing exercises might be helpful when we build a solution of course we want to be pragmatic and build a solution for the context we're in but if that context is going to grow i think at the beginning of building that solution let's sit down and imagine if the world evolved if the world expanded, if data came from anywhere, it doesn't matter within a business unit, you know, it can come anywhere. We're just an ecosystem at the planet level. What solution would work, right? So, so I think if you are building solutions for scale, we've got to think about these extreme scenarios and then work backward to put the foundation in place. If we're not building for scale, I we're just building for a very local, like a startup solution, then, then it's a different different scenario. But I think we've re reached that planet scale um, problem space. So it requires that visualization of a solution that, that can work across the boundary of a business unit, across the boundary of organizations, across the boundary of you know countries and so on. Yeah, I respect fully disagree, but anyhow, let me share my <laughs> reason. Again, you want this to be fun, right? Yeah, no, this is go to the other love it, love it. This yeah. So anyhow, the, I think uh, out of that is actually what I see is two things. I, again, living through, I've been with Intuit for 18 years. I see how the company evolved. If five years ago I asked you to say, I totally agree with you, Teresa and Shemak, but today is different. And, and this is also related how the company evolved. Uh, Intuit finally realized we don't want to be a house of products. We want to be uh, uh, we want to be an integrated product company. We want to be an ecosystem company. So even from CEO declared, we want to be a platform company. We're no longer gonna bet on TurboTax as the ever growth strategy. Guess what? Because of that, we ask all of to think about one Intuit, meaning we're breaking down the boundary of organization. We're breaking, breaking down the boundary of business unit. Our engineering actually organization get consolidated under this one single CTO, no longer BU has this a strong. So with that kind of organization change, I would say flip around. Then you have to really have the opportunity to push for this unified view, to establish standard, right? But standard cannot be say, hey, so rigid, I'm gonna block everybody from various. So that's where the trick is. That's where the hard part is. How do we support, you know, well, we, we have a model called fixed, flexible, and custom. Fixed meaning it's standard, no, no question, you cannot deviate from it. For example, address type is one thing, right? Flexible is I want to extend. I have something you guys have not thought about. Give you a space to extend. And finally, in certain cases, the team want to move so fast, right? They say, oh, we allow you exception for custom variation. So support, you know, reuse, reusability of a common stuff, support the extensibility and support the variability. That's really the key, how we can make this unified view work. But that has to be tops down, cannot be bottom up. They realize, oh, these things can be stitched together. It's very expensive. One final thing, I think it's a great point. You talk about, yeah, even though we're into it, we may be that, but we have to integrate with a lot of partners. By design, they're silos. They have different view of the world. They have different data, right? That's a, 
By the way, silo problem is inherent. Nobody can remove that unless everybody unified the world. But how do you deal with? That's why when I look at open linked data, that's the beautiful solution, right? They honestly, yeah, each organization, each have their own knowledge graph, but there's still a way exposing the standard infrastructure for you to actually federate, for you to map. That's why, but since each model becomes more knowledge driven, more semantic, it's easier to map. If you have those relational model, religious model, document model, or pay, uh, key value pair, how do you even map? You don't even know how to map because you don't have semantics there. And so and even though, yeah, anyhow. Yeah, as well, yeah. Is, is that you have your bounded context, yes. but then you have an explicit context maps to say how this thing actually relates yes. to your context. Yes, I, so I, mean, I think it depends on the organization maturity. In, in certain organization, you can go all the way. I don't want everybody one size fit all. Now it's data mesh, everybody data mesh. No, if your organization is ready, have this vision to unify this, even from a business angle, why you wanted to do that? So anyhow, even while I'm speaking here, I'm purposely go the other stream, right? Within into it, we have tons of debate. This is that's why it's art. It's yeah. nobody can say this one or the other. It's really based on the aptitude, the maturity, the readiness, and then the the the, the executive support that determine your unique strategy for your organization. So, so I want to wrap up this segment here, kind of summarizing some interesting takeaways here. Fix, you can't change it, like your address, flexible, okay, go extend it and customize it. You may need to run at some incredible speed, so go have that. I think that's really fascinating. And and I think at the end of the day, centralization versus centralization, as Shimako was saying, it's the sides of the same coin uh, coin right here. And I, I was having yesterday a conversation with the, with the CTO of the Zebra, Matish Kairia, and we came to this analogy that, it's like airlines, right? You have like the legacy airlines have hub and spoke, right? So they're kind of have centralized and decentralized, but then you have things like Southwest, they go point to point that they're kind of decentralized. However, you look at airlines like Southwest, they have centralized, they have standardized on 737s. So they do decentral, but they standardize on something. So you're there, there is always this balance. And it not it doesn't mean that there's like a, a hub thing that's central and spoke. There's different ways, let it be tooling that you can go standardize. So now let's take the conversation to a different direction, which is <laughs> different people. We always talk about people and we always talk about processes, right? Uh, and we ended up just, but we always end up talking about technology. How, and, and a lot of this is, is a cultural shift, right? And cultural shift is people, right? Jay, you've been in your place for 18 years. And are, are you going to be able to go see this vision that you're saying in the next, I don't know, 18 years, you're going to be at Intuit or not? How are you going to do that with the people? Like, what what are the types of changes of people? Do we have the right people today? Do we need to educate? What's what are we educating? Are we educating the people for tomorrow or not? And what is it? What's missing? Let's go talk about people. Like, since you addressed me, I'll go first. People is the hardest thing. Technology is secondary. People is the hardest thing, right? So one of the reasons people often ask me, Jay, why are you still was into it? Eighteen years—that's a long time. And one of the reasons is because, of course, I believe our company's mission, uh, vision, but also I feel like I, I, my job is not done. Wait until we achieve that unification, that's where I can leave. Uh, anyhow, uh, so going back to people is really, I, I think this is all we're talking about, no matter which way, is about change management. I see the value of, for example, data match, make it easier because in the minute you give people autonomy, it's easier for them to adopt because forcing something on somebody who they don't understand and they do have to do a lot of work 
their immediate benefit is small, it's hard. Nobody wants to make that change. What's it in for me, right? So I think that that's that's just address the, the the reality. But at the same time, you cannot just keep letting that. You have to say we need to uh, leapfrog of where we are. We have to be bold. Actually, one of the things you know into it, one of the values we have is be bold, meaning challenging status quo. Is there a different way to do it, right? So in some sense, then it's for, for me, it's more about evangelization, more about connecting like-minded people, talking about what's possible, but then also be realistic about how do we lead people there? First, have to convince ourselves, right? If we just come up with something, there's no proof point, what's the point? You're just, you're just hallucinating. How do you translate that hallucination into some concrete steps using early successes, and, and also learn, be realistic about, we don't know everything. We, we might have a goal, let's try it. Let's see how we, what we learn and then use those to start bringing other people on board. Say, look, what we've done, this is what we learned and this is what we found the value, what do you think? So I think uh, there's a playbook about change management. How do you change people's mindset? How do you change organization behavior? It's all applied. And that's what for me is the hardest part. It would definitely have to need to partner with leaders that was really good at it. And sometimes you have to find champions from, you know, um, our um, uh, chief executives, CTOs, chief architects, so on and so forth. But they also be realistic because they don't want you to disrupt the whole company. You have to balance. You have some advanced exploration and then bring that down to the next level. There's some bottom up stuff. Connect all the dots together. That's how you gradually move people towards the right direction. I was saying that change management, one thing we shouldn't forget it is that Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Yes. Change is painful and motivation is a big, you know, help in, in, in going through the pain of change. And at the top of that Maslow hierarchy of needs is the self-actualization so that people can have the autonomy, can do the experiment. If I have a hypothesis about data, it doesn't take me months to actually be able to validate that. So remove friction, remove friction, remove friction to give autonomy. So I think that that's a you know foundational ingredient in it. I would just add another angle in the people side of it, which is the skill sets and the job description and the roles that we have created. Um, of course, we always need a specialist, and we will pay big dollar for specialists. That's that's we know. But also, I have a big I guess, soft spot for generalists, because I'm a generalist myself. I, I don't want to be boxed into one thing. Uh, so I think we have a wonderful, you know, large um, kind of number of people that are generalists, who get, are, that we know them as full stack developers, or, you know, just back-end developers, or that developers. This is the software engineers, right? So be able to expand the toolkit and the skill set of a generalist to actually play in building these data products, to um, to do data-driven application design, do data-driven solution design. I think that's the next kind of key that we need to, um, or the lock that we need to kind of attack and unlock. Um, and then one way of doing that is by, well, training and change management is part of it, but it's also elevating the abstraction of the platforms and the tools that make it easier for these folks to come on board, right? The specialists reduce the need for specialization and hide them behind the platforms, behind the self-service infrastructure. And maybe as you're talking about specialists like um, and generalists, I, I also want to extend it to the the real users, right? The the uh, not data engineers or software engineers, but like real engineers or 
or, um, you know, people who are insurance agents and doctors, right? So in this space, there's, there is a, a, a um, the tooling is really not designed for those sorts of people, right? So even for the traditional data engineer and software engineer, there's a leap even to change their mindset, right? The things they learned in school with how they model data schemas, the relational mindset, it's hard enough even to change that for, for people who are eager to learn, right? To, to learn this new way. Then you have your industry and domain experts who are ultimately, you know, any one of us could model an address, right? And, and kind of agree, this is what it looks like. But if you're trying to model something that is, um, you know, these people are experts in and that's what their domain is about, how do you extract that information and then present it to them in a way that's not these graph bubbles? It's not an RDF model. Um, how do you give them this rule? Because they're really going to need to model all the edge cases in a way that is not boring. And so I think that is actually one of the fundamental leaps that we have to address. Let, let me add on that. That's, that, that's, that's great. When we talk about self-service tooling, we also need to say, who do we serve to? I think, Teresa, you're absolutely right. I don't see in the future we need a lot of engineers to be the middleman between domain experts. They should be able to use the tooling to express what they want to do, right? I think that's really a change that has to happen. So we have to be really careful about where, what we're building our tooling for. Now, in the interim, we have to build a tool for everybody. But in the future, that's another change management. What is your engineering really going to do? You want to focus on really hard, deep problem, but you want to expose them is such a simple tool. No, it's self-service onboarding, self-explanatory. Guess what? That is knowledge. If you model knowledge this way, that's most natural to people because they can relate the real world thing to it. Instead of trying to learn this RDF syntax, learn this four letter, whatever acronym of things, but we make it so simple. But how can we make it simple? That means somebody have to do the hard work to, to expose the underlying rich semantics in the very easy to understand way, very easy to extend the way. And that's what we need to think about. So in some sense, when we say change, whether we want to change people's mind, whatever, but also we realize what kind of pe work people do is going to be changing. Like AI, I actually recently lead actually uh, NLP exploration team. We play with GPT-3. Suddenly, Suddenly, anybody can actually build a language model, can teach language model, do a lot of automation. Completely rewrite how we think about how we train NLP models. The collective power of multiple people independently extending knowledge, push into GPT-3 and turn around can do a lot of automation. That concept never existed before. So this way for me, the future is all about knowledge. We can talk about infrastructure, whatever. It's knowledge and knowledge-related infrastructure tooling, right? To connect all the pieces together to move forward. And, and, I, and I think that that's that's such a good problem space to define. I love Jay the way you define it. Like let's define a way to explain and express knowledge, right? And I feel like we've been on two separate parallel track. This is the track of people that say, let's codify knowledge statically in some static language, right? Where the RDFs of the world and so on come to exist. And this parallel track of GTP folks and AI folks that says, knowledge is somewhere embedded into the data itself. We're gonna 
find a model that then it can, you know, extrapolate that knowledge from this data mess that you had. And I, I know this is a question for me personally, that what is, is this either of these are the right way? Because we know we limit expressiveness at some point if you don't have a Turing complete language, right? You have to kind of express these static languages. So is there, do we have to, do we have to meet somewhere in between? Like, is there a way, like, for example, in terms of like a statically defined or declaratively defined your knowledge in some language versus this idea of great expectations, the tool around great expectations, that you articulate the expectations that you have from that data from in, in code or in, in some way. So I, I feel like this is a, you just opened a can of <laughs> wonderful things, not words, but a can of wonderful things that we can, we can kind of explore. Um, how to arrive at knowledge, right? What's the best way to get that? that connecting that, the, the tool of great expectations really, I'm, I'm tracking this, I'm finding that really interesting. And that is a way of connecting knowledge, right? I am, I'm putting, I'm expecting this stuff. I'm not sure, like that's some sort of knowledge that you have right there. Um, I want, we got a, a few minutes left. I want to talk about one more thing, which is data products, topic that has, we've been hearing a lot. So I think data product is is still kind of abstract, and I think Shamak and I were having a back a back channel discussion. Is like, hey, we need to be more creative of what is a data product. So, very quickly, what is your definition of a data product, or or what could it be? Let's imagine really outside of the box. Teresa, Teresa, please. I want to let others go because I don't want to get a definition. I want to hear. I mean, I definitely think it, it, it's clearly the raw data, but I think a lot of, to make it useful, building off the AI conversation, right? It's labeled data. It's the additional domain knowledge that fills in the gaps, right? So if we take the transformer, he was talking about GPT-3, right? Transformer, why it's built is because of the power of data. So there's a big scale of data and thus we were able to get this transformer. But then a lot of the work is in, in, in those uh, long tail cases, like what are the cases we know as domain experts if I want to customize it, right, for my use case, right, what are the, the cases that fail? What are the cases that actually um, I know about, right, that I'm going to need to test? So I'm going to take this pre-built transformer and configure it for my use case. So all that industry expertise that we talked about earlier, that fits in that configuration, right? And so it's it's together. It's the data that you needed at the beginning. It's the the descriptions or the labeled data that you need to get things out of it. That's where industry knowledge comes in. It's the tail and the tail cases and the semantics of the world that fills in the gaps of the what the original model could do or tells you how to handle exceptions when they occur, right? So to me, all of those are data products that are valuable in their own right, right? So the, the original raw data, the, the model that was produced from it, how someone configures the model, the inference that results. And so if we think about the product in the end, right, we want an insight and a decision at the end, we want to be able to value all these people in the chain. So whether they actually get paid as the mock described right before, like, you know, I, I should definitely get paid from it. Um, how that happens, I, I, I don't know too much, right? But, um, you know, they all have to be compensated to make this work. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I think the way I would define data product, just like how we define uh, application as a product, how do we sell product, like a TurboTax? What's the unique attributes of that product? From a data product point of view, is is that is that complete? Is that clean? Is it is it really well documented? But in some in, in some sense, it's really a knowledge about the data you're selling, right? It's really a clean knowledge about the data. 
so that people know how to use it, how to, with the right semantic context, they can use for the right purpose. They understand the freshness, the lineage, you know, everything we talk about, all the high quality of data needs to be there so that it's useful and have a great experience for people to discover, to find out what's there and how to use it, right? And also oftentimes, no matter what you do, data has quality issues. Is it, when I actually find something wrong, is there an easy way for me to report that back, for you to incorporate that and there's a feedback loop? So that's really what makes the data product really useful for consumption teams. So I'm gonna build up on those. I completely agree with her point that there are different classes of data products. Those native ones that are closer to the source and raw to the ones that are more intelligent and insight oriented that, that derived from those raw data. I completely agree. And I completely agree with Jay's point that we have to think about it as a product. If it's not usable, if it doesn't have the knowledge and if it doesn't have all of those usability characteristics, we often call them metadata, around it with it, as one unit, it's not usable. I want to add one more element to that, and I think it's the heartbeat. If that data is not alive, if that data is not accompanied with a code that keeps it alive, that they keeps it maintained, that keeps it still relevant and timely, then it's not going to be a product because it's always going to be the body separated from the soul dumped on a disk somewhere or an event stream, relying on somebody else turn it into a product for you. So it's all of that with a heartbeat, which is now we're talking about combining code that maintains and serves that data with the data itself, with the metadata together as one unit. So if 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 we're if we're gonna give awards here on analogies, I think Shamak wins. I mean the flock of birds, the the heartbeat and the body separated from the soul. That, that, so that was actually I'm pretty a romantic cool. one, probably here, but I'm also very pragmatic. Like, yeah, that, that's why we don't want to follow her. No, it's but it, 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 it makes so much sense. I think it's the data as a product is not just the product itself, this thing. It's actually, oh, how you actually created it. Because if you documented the end product, but you didn't document the way how to go do it, once you get the feedback loop that Jay is going to go complain about, like, well, how do I go fix it? What, what do I go do? The person who did it is not there anymore. It's like, you have to really document the whole thing. I think that's part of treating data as a product. Yeah. So uh, we're close uh, close to time. I, just, I wanted to wrap up very quickly with some of my takeaways here. I've been taking some notes and just kind of random stuff I've been looking at. We talked about incentives. Every business unit needs to have incentives. Consider the common good of the whole instead of the indiv being individual. Uh, Shama put it very clearly. Put OKRs, bonus on the shareability and growth of the users of your data products. We talked about knowledge graph and master data and and master data management and 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 data mesh. So knowledge graph is an evolution of MDM, right? While data mesh can be an evolution of data lakes. And if you don't put them together, it doesn't make sense. So they they do complement each other. But we got to be we got to be practical about it. We still don't. We still don't know today. That's still to go figure it out. A lot of discussion about centralization versus decentralization. Nice, interesting debate and disagreement, right? Jay says we got to unify everything. Everybody else, uh, we got to figure that out. Uh, but I love the whole fix, flexible and customize, and uh, the people, right? What's in it for me? We think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Be bold, challenge the status quo, and we have this whole playbook on change management that we should follow. And this last part about data products, right? There's data products which are native to the raw data, more intelligent products that are coming from the derived. They should be complete, clean, documented. I should be able to report issues. And don't forget, your data needs to have a heartbeat. So how was that? A good summary? Wow. All right. Awesome. So, 
So we're going to, we're going to close up with something that, uh, Shamak actually started at our podcast, which is a lightning round, the honest, no BS lightning round. So I got four questions and <laughs> all right, you can only, and it's only yes or no, only yes or no. Uh, and then we'll see what time we can probably, we could, that, that's probably going to start another discussion. So question number one, do we need to unify all the data within our organization? Yes. Yes. Can you reunify? Do, you, do we need to unify? distracting me. He's cheering us from the sideline with such good comments. So he's just distracting. <laughs> do we need to unify all the data within an organization? We're waiting for your answer, Shamar. I, 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 the, the question is loaded. I can <laughs> answer in so many different ways. Yes and no, yes and no. That's no, but Teresa and Jay immediately said yes. All right, so Shamar is No, unifiable. I'm going to go. Okay. Actually, I, that's, why, that's why I said unify because I was waiting. By, by the way, I'm representing myself. I'm not representing Intuit. No worries. We're all representing ourselves, but nobody represents organizations. All right, so number two, every company should treat their data like a product. Yes. 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 All right. Every organization, large or small, should hire a data product manager. No. How small, I guess. Only for large ones. Small ones, you don't need one. Okay. Again, your question is uh, has some subtleties in it. I think they need a data product on it. Should they go higher, they can probably source them already internally. Final question, is a is knowledge graph a way to implement a data mesh? Yes. <laughs> I know. So if you're if you're just just to, for folks who are only listening to this and you're not seeing Shamak's face, her eyes are going all over the place and she's covering her mouth and she's not saying anything. So but Teresa, you haven't answered yet. I also am confused because these are these are kind of well, yes and no based on whatever your limited understanding. Take a stand. Come on, people. you gave a talk this morning about knowledge graphs yes. and data mesh. So, which would be inspiration for this question? Like peanut butter jelly, right? Not. <laughs> All right. Right. I think the answer is not yes or no. It's peanut butter and jelly. Peanut yes. butter jelly. <laughs> All right. Well. Look, it's exactly two o'clock central time here in Austin. Uh, we've been for this hour. I think this was a fantastic conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Teresa, Shamak, and Jay. Uh, and hey, if you like what you heard, uh, you'll be able to listen to this again uh, on the Knowledge Graph Conference, but we'll also have it on our uh, podcast of Catalog and Cocktails. And this is what we do every week. So you can go listen to us at data.world slash podcast or follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you. This is wonderful. And thank you, Juan, for hosting us. We had a lot of fun. Yeah. Again, it's just all, all, all fun to make it more interesting, right? It wow. does not necessarily reflect our organization's view and so on and so forth. So let, let yeah, me just to be make, clear. To make it clear, it does not represent any organization. It's all ourselves. And next time we'll do this uh, with, uh, with a nice cocktail or, or I know, uh, 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 a mushroom uh, coffee. <laughs> 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 That's what Shamak was drinking the other day when we did it. All right. All right. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye.